Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring a chapter from The World's Strangest True Stories, the Fate Magazine Library of the Paranormal and the Unexplained, selected and arranged by Jean-Marie Stein, Phyllis Gauld, and the editors of Fate. The world is not what we think it is. The individuals whose experiences you are about to hear know that only too well since nothing in their lives had prepared them for their encounters with things that are not supposed to happen, but did. Events like these remain hidden because those they happen to are afraid to speak, out of a natural reluctance to have their sincerity or sanity questioned. Societies define their own realities, and those who challenge them do so at their own peril. The moral seems to be that where these kinds of events are concerned, Ignorance is the best policy. Ignorance, of course, will not stop people from having strange, inexplicable experiences. Mysterious stuff will continue to fall out of the sky. People will continue to have bizarre UFO encounters. Little men, monsters, talking mongooses, and invisible presences won't stop their determined trespassing into our reality. While most of the world turns a deaf ear to these dimensions of experience, fate has been listening. And a great number of people have shared their stories with fate. You are about to hear the strangest of them, the reports that represent the greatest challenge to science, reason, and understanding. What you will find here in the world's strangest true stories is nothing less than a full unobstructed view of these other realities tantalizing glimpses of things that don't belong here, of worlds not our own. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from the world's strangest true stories. Part 1. Strange True Stories of Outer Space Strange Things from Outer Space In 1961, a New Hampshire couple, Barney and Betty Hill, saw a UFO and experienced a puzzling period of missing time. Later, under hypnosis, they reported that during that missing time, humanoid beings had taken them aboard the craft and subjected them to a physical examination. In the years since then, hundreds of such UFO abductions, most but by no means all recalled through hypnotic regression, have come to light. One of the strangest occurred in Brazil. UFO Abduction in Brazil by Coral E. Lorenzen. Until the morning of September 15, 1977, Antonio LaRubia did not believe in UFOs, but the 33-year-old bus driver has been forced to change his mind. He still has no idea what UFOs are or where they come from, but he knows they exist because he had a terrifying encounter with some of the strangest UFO occupants ever reported. The incident took place in Paciencia, Brazil, a small town 28 miles north of Rio de Janeiro, in a large dark football field, 220 yards from the percipient's home. The episode, which Irene Granchi investigated for the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, or APRO, is reported as follows. On Thursday, September 15th, at 2 a.m., Antonio LaRubia rose quietly so as not to disturb his sleeping wife and child, washed up and set out for the highway to catch the bus to his place of employment. 
the Oriental Bus Company. On his way to the highway he spotted, in a nearby field, an object which he at first took to be a bus. But as he started walking toward it, he suddenly realized he was looking at something totally outside his experience. The thing, whatever it was, was so large that it nearly covered the entire field. Badly frightened, La Rubia took two steps backward and prepared to run. Just then, an intensely bright blue light lit up the area. At the same moment, three robot-like figures appeared near him. La Rubia later told investigators the beans reached his shoulders. He is five feet five inches tall, the average size of the Brazilian male. So he figured they were four feet tall. However, the antennae which jutted out of the middle of their heads rose above La Rubia. Their heads were shaped like footballs, and a band extended across the middle with what looked like a row of small mirrors in two shades of blue, one darker than the other. Their bodies were stocky, their trunks broader than Lorubia's own, Lorubia is muscular but slender, and they had arm-like appendages which he compared to elephant's trunks because they narrowed down to tips but were without hands or fingers. The tips of these appendages were as narrow as a normal finger, however. Their bodies were covered with a rough substance resembling scales. Lorubia thought this covering was actually the skin of the robots. Their bodies were somewhat rounded at the bottom and culminated in a single leg. All told, they looked so odd that the witness at first thought the beans were sitting on something, although he soon realized this was not the case. The single leg ended in a saucer-shaped platform. Lorubia compared this leg and platform to the stools used on ships and said their bodies seemed made of dull aluminum. One of the robots stood in front of Lorubia, one at his side and the third at his back. He tried to escape, but after the blue light came on he found he couldn't move. He flung his arms about, but discovered he was a captive in what he described as an invisible glass or bell jar. Aside from his paralysis and an understandable uneasiness, Lorubia felt normal. Meanwhile, the robots were floating above the ground. Lorubia noticed they were all of the same stature and appearance, the sole difference being that one of them was holding what appeared to be a hypodermic syringe. This being lifted its appendage and pointed a syringe at him, whereupon Lorubia moved with no sense of motion toward the huge object. As he approached the UFO, he felt a tremor. He does not know how he got inside the object. He just suddenly found himself inside a white aluminum corridor. Beyond it was a transparent wall. Two of the robots went one way, the third another. Looking back down the corridor, Lorubia saw, through the transparent wall, the field in which the object had been resting. He concluded that the craft had left the ground and was flying north. As Lorubia was looking back and out, a bright blue light came on again. He discovered that he was in a large, circular hall. The light seemed to come from the ceiling, where it was a deep blue, and proceeded down the walls, becoming lighter and lighter until it almost blended with the aluminum color of the walls. In this huge hall the witness saw a dozen entities on one side and another dozen or so on the other. They reminded him of children in a classroom, mainly because their single legs looked like seats. During the entire episode so far, Lorubia had been struggling and unable to speak. But as he tried to shout, his voice abruptly returned. He screamed, What do you want? Who are you? To his great surprise, the little entities began to tumble all over the floor like ten soldiers. Lorubia assumed the sound of his voice had caused them to fall. When he shouted, the beans had all lifted their appendages to the tips of their antennae and held them. These tips resembled coffee spoons. They rotated at such great speed that only when the beans held them could Lorubia see what they looked like. After the bright light came on again, Lorubia noticed a small piano-like affair 
a box of sorts. It measured about six inches, stood on two poles, and rose to the approximate height of Larubia's chest. Except for this contraption, the room was completely empty. On either end, an antenna jutted up. Along the side of the box was a row of keys, which reminded Larubia of the keys on a piano. The entities took turns removing small objects that looked like syringes from hooks on their belts and placing them into a tin can on top of the box. Each time one of these little instruments was put into the tin of the box, one of the beings pressed a key and a moving color image appeared on the wall of the chamber. Each image showed a different scene. In the first one, Lorubia lay naked on an invisible table. He was swinging his arms around while one of the beings examined him with a little bluish light which emanated from a syringe and pointed at his chest. Another being was examining his head with another blue light, which had no beam. It colored everything blue. Soon another being came over and introduced another slide, and another picture appeared. Each picture was presented by another being in this fashion. In the second he saw himself alone, standing but still naked. The third showed him all dressed, wearing his shoes and carrying his shopping bag as he usually does. His teeth were chattering and he looked nervous but no sound came from his lips. One of his arms was swinging. The fourth picture showed a horse and cart traveling over a dirt road. The area did not look familiar. A ragged peasant, barefoot and wearing a straw hat, appeared in the scene. Fifth, he viewed himself standing by a light orange ball. In the sixth frame, the ball appeared once more, but this time it was light blue in color and one of the beans stood beside it. The seventh picture showed a big dog trying to attack one of the beans, but it was unable to reach it. Looking very angry, the animal barked four or five times. At this point, the bean started to melt from top to bottom and turned into a porridge-like substance. When Lorubia was giving the above account to Mrs. Granchi, his voice took on an even more excited and puzzled tone. He told her that at that moment, in the seventh scene, one of the beans with him in the hall ran forward, stood beside him, and pointed one of the syringes at the dog in the picture. Suddenly, the dog turned blue and started to melt exactly as the bean had melted turning finally into porridge. In the eighth scene, Lorubia saw a UFO factory. There were three rows of flying saucers. The UFOs in the two rows on the right were nearly ready, but the row to the left was made up of flying saucers still in the skeletal stage. All three rows stretched out of sight. Everything was a stark, spotless white. There were millions of robots walking about, but Lorubia noticed no tools. Picture number nine showed a Japanese-like train running in Brazil. It was old and clearly worn. Except for the absence of windows, it looked just like a normal train. Lorubia saw it enter a tunnel and disappear from view. The next scene was of an avenue, like Avenida Presidente Vargas, one of the busiest thoroughfares in Rio, so jammed with cars that traffic had come to a standstill. During Mrs. Granchi's interview, she learned that Lorubia apparently had seen other pictures about which he was reluctant to speak. He finally told her that after the picture of himself standing nude, another had been shown. This had pictured him vomiting and defecating in his trousers. In the course of the picture show, one of the robots came over to the center of the hall where Lorubia was standing. It is not clear whether he was still encased in the bell jar, and took one of the syringes from its belt with its right appendage and passed it to its left appendage, whereupon the device started to rotate, spinning so rapidly that Lorubia could not follow it with his eyes. The being then pointed the apparatus at him. Lorubia's arm lifted against his will and the UFO occupant stuck the syringe into the tip of the middle finger of the participant's right hand. Lorubia watched as the syringe filled nearly to overflowing with what seemed to be his blood. He had no idea how the blood was taken because there was no pain, nor was any mark left afterwards. 
The bean then pointed to the wall and drew, apparently with Lurubia's blood, three red circles intersected with an L-shaped mark. After the busy street scene was shown, Lurubia was thrown overboard, in some fashion, and fell into a street nearly opposite the Paciencia bus station. Mrs. Granchi thinks he may have been teleported to the spot, just as he seems to have been teleported into a UFO at the outset of the experience. On the ground, he found himself standing next to one of the robots. He had all his belongings with him, even his bag, which had not been with him on the UFO. After landing and noting his surroundings, Lorubia glanced at his watch, which had stopped at 2.20 a.m. He turned around and found that apparently the being who had accompanied him was gone. When he looked up, he saw what appeared to be the bottom of a huge, lead-colored balloon, but it was dark, with no evidence of markings or openings. It rose higher and higher into the air until he could see it no longer. Mrs. Granchi asked Lorubia if he knew of any other witnesses. He said yes. One person had gone around saying he had seen a UFO that night, but Lorubia doubted the man's testimony because the supposed witness was a chronic drunk. Lorubia went into the bus station and asked a man what time it was. It turned out to be 2.55. Lorubia set his watch accordingly and 15 minutes later caught a bus and arrived at work on time. Nervous, ill, and aching all over, his vision occasionally darkening, he nonetheless drove his bus and worked all that day and the next day, Friday. But when he got home that first night, he went to bed immediately. He said nothing to his wife about what had happened. It was later, while thinking about his illness, that Lorubia remembered another one of the pictures. It had shown him with smoke coming out of his back. The pain and heat he experienced during his illness reminded him of the image in that picture. Friday evening his bowels were loose and he felt miserable. On Saturday he was too ill to work and missed Sunday as well. Late Sunday the burning feeling started. His wife rubbed alcohol over him. That lessened the burning a little bit, but it, along with the aching and the headache which he'd had for days, persisted. On Monday morning, Lorubia went to the bus company and announced he had to quit. He had difficulty breathing. His body burned and itched so badly that he stripped off his clothes and had a fellow employee hose him down with water. The men there said he looked green as grass. The burning feeling, he said, affected him most intensely where the light had been directed at him. When Mrs. Granchi asked how he felt when he walked, he said he had an empty feeling, like floating. Lorubia was sent to the bus company infirmary, where the nurse took his temperature and found it to be 42 degrees Celsius, approximately 106.6 Fahrenheit. She called the company psychiatrist, Dr. Nellie Carbonell, because Lorubia's behavior and wild talk about a UFO encounter led her to believe that he was a psychiatric case. Dr. Carbonell examined him then called an ambulance and sent him to the infirmary. By now, Lorubia was suffering a great deal and had become so irrational that he had to be restrained with ropes. When Mrs. Granchi interviewed her on October 6th, Dr. Carbonell said Lorubia had had considerable swelling about his body. He had loose bowels, was vomiting and had a rash all over his body, together with innumerable scratches, which Lorubia said he had inflicted on himself when he tried to alleviate the incessant itching. She said she had felt sorry for him because he had been crying like a child. Clearly perplexed by the whole case, she said she had given Lorubia a psychological test and had received twenty satisfactory answers and only one unsatisfactory one, suggesting to her that despite his strange story, he did not appear to be insane. She administered the Rorschach inkblot test with similar results. Dr. Carbonell called Lorubia intelligent and highly conscientious. At that point, in her investigation, Mrs. Granchi had not yet met Lorubia. 
and Dr. Carbonell said she doubted that he would consent to an interview because he was being hounded by the press and was very distraught. Nevertheless, two days later, Mrs. Granchi journeyed to Paciencia and finally located La Rubia at his in-law's home, where he had hidden himself in an effort to avoid further harassment from reporters and curiosity seekers. Although the family was friendly, La Rubia did not want to talk with Mrs. Granchi, who he was convinced was from a newspaper. Eventually he did come out of his room and speak with her briefly, promising that when he felt better he would come to Rio and talk with her. Disappointed and afraid she would never see him again, she returned home. On October 18th, however, La Rubia kept his promise. He and his brother Arnaldo showed up at Mrs. Granchi's apartment and the interview took place. Since then, APRO's investigator has learned that other doctors at the hospital where La Rubia was taken were as perplexed as Dr. Carbonell. They listened to his story, promised further tests, and indicated that they believed him. La Rubia was quite upset when they could find nothing medically wrong with him, but since then his health has improved considerably. He still complains of a floating sensation, a detail Mrs. Granchi finds extremely interesting. Ten years earlier, another Brazilian who reported an encounter with UFO beans said he felt he was floating for some time after the incident. Still, the Paciencia case is one of those mavericks of UFO lore. The disc-shaped UFO, of course, is familiar from numerous other reports, but the occupants and the interior furnishings are very different from anything previously reported. By any standards, this is a strange and incredible story, even as close encounters of the fourth kind, UFO abductions, go. What this case means is anybody's guess. It seems to represent a new clue in the continuing mystery of UFOs. We hope you enjoyed listening to this sample chapter from The World's Strangest True Stories. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.